Our readings this morning are from Romans 8 and then from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Romans 8, starting at verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And then 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which you're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Am I on? I'm on. Thanks, Sandy. Uh, so, if you don't know me, if you're new, you're visiting, my name's Andrew, I'm one of the pastors here at Village, um, and we're in, two weeks into this series on, uh, we're calling it Life Together, it's really our family values. Uh, we have, uh, at Village, we have 10 core values based in the Bible, uh, based on what the Bible teaches, specific specifically to our context. So last week, Thomas introduced us to this idea of church as family, which is so important to us. We believe that the Bible teaches that the church is a family. Um, and, and this week, we're going to continue on that uh, journey, and we're looking at the, uh, the, the core values of prayer and dependency and uh, word dwelling among us. So what does this mean? Like, I mean, we have these phrases, prayer and dependency and, and word dwelling among us. Well, basically what we're going to look at this morning is this idea that um, when we pray, we're depending on God, and that the, the Bible is the Word of God, and so, so we steep ourselves in this book, in His Word coming to us. So if you want these two things tied together, like um, prayer and dependency, our words to God, the Word dwelling among us, and God's Word to us. So there's this kind of talking and listening relationship with God going on this morning, and that's what I want to delve into. But I want to share with you... Um, a very precious memory, uh, something that I laugh about every now and again. I shouldn't have said laugh because you know it's a funny thing. Uh, when, I was about, when I was about 10, I think, uh, my mom and dad, I can't remember what it was for. It was either birthday or something. But for, I, I, got a, I got a watch. And this was the 90s, and it was a Casio uh, calculator watch. You remember those? The be- Honestly, the best, they're like cockroaches. You can't, they're indestructible. Um, and I got this watch, and it was amazing. And then was in, like a weekend of having the watch in school, spilled paint all over it. Like it was a nightmare. And so what did I do? Like any good uh, 10-year-old, I hid the watch. I hid it and told my mom and dad that I had lost it because that was less uh, bad than me actually destroying it. And this is really when I started to pray in my life. I remember like, thinking, 
No, 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 seriously, this is like the first time I remember my life praying. So I'm like, please, Lord, don't let them find the watch. Please, Lord, don't let them find out what happened. Please, Lord. And the Lord did not answer my prayer. Uh, partly because the reason I, the place I decided to hide it was behind their bed. And so on a Saturday morning at eight o'clock, the alarm went off and my dad was like, what the heck is this? And found the watch covered in paint. And so the Lord didn't answer my prayer, but he taught me a valuable lesson. But do you, do you ever think that prayer is a bit like that for us sometimes? We wait till something goes wrong and we're like, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord. Or we really need that job. Please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord. Um, I think for, for a lot of us, we find it hard to pray. I know I do. I was sharing this with the, uh, just, uh, we were praying before the gathering this morning, and I was sharing that. Like, I find it so hard to pray. And, and then I started to think about this this week, and I was like, do I find it hard to pray? Or do I find it hard to be disciplined in prayer? Because when things aren't going my way, I find it really easy to pray. Would you, would you, do you feel that way? Like, when things, when something's going wrong, man, you become like the most faithful prayer in the world. And not prayer, prayer. Like you, you, when things are going wrong, you're like you're, you're you're committed to prayer. You're praying faithfully. Your prayers are from the heart. But in general, everyday life, we find it hard to pray. Do you ever have those days where you're going through the day and um, the busyness of life, getting up, getting the kids out, or going to work, or whatever you do, and then it's only when you have maybe a couple of minutes to yourself in the evening, you're like, Lord, I haven't acknowledged you once today. Do you ever have those days? And I think that a lot of us do. And I kind of want to start by acknowledging that for many of us, prayer is hard. It's laborious. It's something we forget. We're not disciplined in it. And I started to think about why this is. I think one of the reasons is maybe we don't know what prayer is. Maybe we have these wrong ideas about prayer. Maybe we have this misunderstanding. Maybe it's like me with the watch going, please, Lord, please, Lord, don't let them find out. I think sometimes we think that prayer is just this thing that we have to do. You know, like, I grew up in the, the quiet time generation. So, like, I was always taught, have your quiet time. And quiet time is great, by the way, and um, especially when you have two kids. Um, but I was taught, read your Bible, pray every day. And it was almost like that was emphasized to the point that you have to do those things in order to be a good Christian. And there's nothing wrong with reading your Bible and pray every day. In fact, later on, I'm going to explicitly tell you to do that, to read your Bible and pray every day. But the point is that you don't read your Bible and pray every day to make you a follower of Jesus. We read our Bible and we pray every day because we are followers of Jesus. Or maybe for some of us, prayer is like this vending machine, right? You ever treat God like a vending machine? You, 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 try to, you try to word things in just the right way. Use the right words and phrases. Maybe if it's something from the Bible, oh, if I pray this verse, then God has to listen because it's from the Bible. And we just hope that, we, if, if I say this in the right way, if I say the right things, if I try and trick God and my motivation is right, then I'll get the result out. Because I'm putting what, I, what the right thing in, I'll get the right thing out. I want to encourage us this morning as we move through this journey of prayer and dependency that, that prayer is way more than a tick box exercise. Prayer is more than a God, treating God like a vending machine. It's more than just like a safety net that we go, oh, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord. There's nothing wrong with crying out to God in, in desperation. That's a good thing to do. But let me say this. Prayer is less about what we do than it is about who we are. Because prayer is saying to the Lord, I recognize that I am your child. And you've invited me into a relationship with you. And this passage we read in Romans 8, I know we had two passages, we're going to get to the second one in a bit. In this passage, we, Paul's writing to the church in Rome, Right? 
It's a fairly young church, and, and he, he's teaching them about their identity in Jesus. So Paul often in his writings will, will do that, will follow this pattern. He'll say, here's who you were before Jesus. Here's what God has done for you through Jesus, and here's who you now are in Jesus, right? And he follows this pattern over and over and over again. And it's a really great pattern for us because we need to remember who we were and what God has done through Jesus and who we now are. And this is what he's doing. In this passage we read, he's saying, here's who you now are. And in the section we read in these few verses, we see that he's saying about their identity. In verse 14, he says, keep your Bibles open if you have them, because I want to dip in and out of the Bible a bit this morning, obviously. Why else would I be here? Um, verse 14, he says that we are, we are the children of God led by the Spirit. What? Children led by the Spirit. Verse 15, we're children who cry out to our Father. In verse 17, we are children who are heirs with Christ. And so we get this built up, this picture built up for us by Paul, by the Word of God that shows us that our, that our salvation and therefore our relationship to God is this Trinitarian affair. Trinitarian just means to do with the Trinity, right? I don't want to leave anyone behind, so let's talk about this for a second. Our God is three in one, three persons, one in essence, three in persons. That's what we believe. And as each one, each one relates to us as, as he communes with us. And so as we seek to be intimate with God in prayer, like continually depending on him, each person of the Trinity has a role to play. God has a role to play in that. So before we, before we talk about how to pray, before we talk about what words we use, before we talk about the means of prayer, before we talk about any of that kind of stuff, I want to get to the heart of this. Prayer, listen, prayer is communion with the triune God, the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what prayer is, okay? Prayer is commune, communing with the triune God of heaven, the only true God. Because God is three in one, he is unique. Because he is three in one, he can save us. Because he is three in one, he is eternally loving and eternally good. And prayer at its very core is, is, is communication, is intimate communication with that God. And I want to start there because when we get this, when we grasp that, we get to see what a blessing prayer is, right? We get to see this a gift. It's not just something to do, something we feel guilty about when we don't do. But this is the, this is the almighty God, creator of the universe, and he desires to be in communion with you. He desires to be in relationship, be intimate with you all the time. And listen, I think if we begin to understand prayer this way, it, it completely frees us up in our relationship with God, doesn't it? It removes guilt. It removes shame. It removes the cold, mechanical nature of saying, if I say these words, I will get what I want. Because the, the, the everlasting, almighty, triune God of heaven is in communion with us. It's not about guilt. It's not about shame. It's not about doing things to be a good Christian. It's about resting in your identity as a child of God. That's what prayer is. Prayer is intimate, primal, honest communion with the Father made possible because we have been united with Christ and have the Holy Spirit living in us. The church, that's us. We're part of the church. We're part, we are part of the, 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 the universal church, the body of Christ, and we are his bride. We are the bride of Christ. Did you know that? 
We're the bride of Christ. This is what the Bible tells us. And, and God tells us in Ephesians 5 that God's covenant to his people is like a marriage covenant. In fact, the reason he gave us earthly marriages is to show the world what his relationship with us is like. We are in a marriage covenant with God because he has pledged himself to us. So listen to this. To think that we can be the church and not pray is like thinking you can sustain your marriage without communication with your spouse. I could wreck my marriage within two weeks if I just stopped talking to my wife. If I stopped all intimate communication with my wife, my marriage wouldn't survive. Can you imagine what would happen? Can you imagine what that would look like in a marriage where there's no, maybe you know marriages like this. Maybe you know marriages where there is no intimate communication. To think that we can be the church and not pray, it's like thinking you could sustain your marriage without communication. You can't have a healthy marriage without intimacy and communication, and you can't have a healthy church without intimacy and communication. And so I think that we need to move away from this idea of prayer about a list of things to do or, or a list of things we need and, and all those kinds of things. And, and those are good things, and it's right and good and true that we should ask God for what we need. The Bible tells us to do that, but not from a place of, oh God, yeah, you're still there. I need some help. But out of love and out of constant communication with the Father, this is how we depend on God. Our core, core value is, is prayer and dependency. I don't know if we got it up on the screen there. This is what we say. We say, being created by God in his image and restored to the Father through Jesus, we are committed to being the people, of, people God calls us to be by depending on Jesus. We want prayer to be both a regular community discipline and an impromptu response to needs and opportunities. We recognize our natural instinct to be, is to be self-sufficient and therefore commit to a life dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see what we have in there? We have Father, we have Son, and we have Holy Spirit. Prayer and dependency is a triune affair. It's a Trinitarian affair. So how does this thing, prayer, relate to dependency? Why have we got these two together? Well, I would say that the act of prayer with God is an act of dependency on God. Let me unpack that for you. You see, in prayer... We bring our plans and our dreams and our fears and our worries and our joys and our struggles and our temptations and we give them all to God and we say, Father, all these things are yours. Lead me, guide me, help me, be joyful with me, mourn with me, grieve with me. I am one with you because what Jesus has done. So let's be one together. We have that next slide, Phil. And so in that, Prayer is submitting to the sovereignty of the Father, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to unpack this for a bit. So I'm going to leave it up there. Prayer is submitting to the sovereignty of the Father, the Lordship of Jesus, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Firstly, prayer is about submitting to the sovereignty of the Father. Uh, the sovereignty of the Father, sovereignty just means that, that God is in control of all things is what sovereignty means. So in prayer, we put ourselves in the rightful place, right? Because I don't know about you, but I walk around, I walk around uh, needing to be in control of everything. 
And I think that, I mean, some people are control freaks. Admittedly, I'm one of them. But, but I think all of us like that feeling of, I'm in control of my life. I'm in control of my own destiny. I mean, I'm losing my mind this week because we're moving house and there's boxes everywhere and things aren't going in the place that I want them to be in. And, and oh, it's just a nightmare. I can't handle that level of, uh, of losing control. So when we, when we pray, we're saying, Sovereign Lord, you are in control of everything and you are good. But I was saying to, I was saying to someone before, before we met this morning, um, yes, he is the creator of heaven and earth. Yes, he is the sovereign God, all-powerful, all-knowing, uh, holds everything in his hands. But listen to what our passage says. He is also our father. Isn't that amazing? Think about who our dad is. Look at verse 15 from Romans 8. For you did not receive a spirit, the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. The word there means sons and daughters. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We're God's children. Think about that. We're God's children. And so we cry out to God. We can cry out to God. Um, the word Abba used there is not Swedish horrible noise from the 70s. Sorry, I've just offended half the uh, congregation of a certain age and above. <laughs> um, Abba was this uh, everyday, homely, family word, right? It's, it's like the language, of a, it's the language of a small child. It's like Finley, my wee boy, is four. It's like when he comes up to me and tugs in my trousers, annoys the life out of me, tugs in my trousers and says, Daddy, yes, that's what Abba means. And, and, and what the Bible is saying is that we get to do that with the almighty sovereign God of heaven. How incredible is that? We get to cry Abba. And the word he uses here in this verse for, for, for cry, when we cry Abba Father, it's like this word, it means something like a spontaneous, emotional crying out. It comes from in here. It doesn't come from up here. And so when we pray, we call out to our Father just like a child crying out to his parent. Daddy. And our Father is the sovereign God of eternity. We don't know how things are going to turn out, but He does. We get worried about sickness and, and money and struggles and politics, but He's not worried about those things. Uh, but in prayer, we, we, we come back to the Father and we say, Lord, we submit to you because you are sovereign. And, and, and Father, all these things are out of my control. All of this is beyond me. But nothing is beyond you. You're in control and you're so good. We submit to the sovereignty of our Father. Prayer is dependency. And the amazing thing is, this language that Paul's talking about here, this is exactly how Jesus prayed. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he dies on the cross, you know what he says? He says, Abba, Father. Same words. And it's because Jesus did it that we can do it. And that leads me on to our next point. Prayer is submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. Now, the lordship of Jesus simply means that Jesus has authority over all things. That's what lordship means. 
uh, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that God has put all things under Jesus' feet. And that's just a way of saying that, that, that Jesus, Jesus is king over everything. There's not, uh, what, what, uh, I was going to murder someone's quote, so I won't do it. But, but, but every, every realm of being and, and life and, and influence is under Jesus' authority. So when we put ourselves under the lordship of Jesus, right, we're recognizing that he is the king. He's the master. And what do you do with the king? You obey his commands. This is why Jesus says in Luke 6, why do you call me, like these people are coming, Lord, Lord. And he's saying, why do you call me Lord if you don't obey my commands? For Jesus, there was, an, there was this assumption that if, you're, if you recognize him as Lord, then you're going to obey his commands. And so when we come to him, we say, Jesus, I don't know how to handle this situation. I don't really know what's going on, but, but you do. And, and you're Lord, and you're in control over this, so um, I need to obey your commands, even if it could cost me money or relationships. Even if it's going to cost me, I'm going to obey you because you're my king and you are good. But look at, uh, look at verse 16 and 17 of our passage in Romans 8. It says this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Listen to this, man. And if children, and if children, then heirs, heirs to God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Do you know what this means? This means that, this means that because we are in Jesus, we are heirs to the kingdom of God. We're going to get the same inheritance as Jesus. All those blessings and benefits and goodness that God has bestowed on Jesus, because we are united with Christ, we get those things too. Who cares if you have an inheritance here on earth? Who cares about, oh, my great auntie's going to leave me some money? I don't care about that. Because you know what? I'm going to inherit the kingdom of God with Jesus. And me and him, we're going to rule it together. Isn't that incredible? And because of this, you know what Hebrews says? Hebrews says, we can boldly approach the throne of grace. We can boldly approach the throne of grace because the person who sits on the throne is our Father. We're not asking, we're not coming in as an outsider. We're not like a stranger coming in trying to tell a king what to do. We're coming in to the king and we're saying, because I'm with him, I can call you daddy. And I can tell you what's bugging me. I can tell you what I'm happy about. I can tell you what I'm scared about. And I know that you're good and you'll help me. We're heirs with Christ. So let that impact your prayer life. We can pray for healing, right? We can pray for healing knowing that our Father is the sovereign Lord and we are heirs to the kingdom of God. We can pray boldly. We can pray for the lost to be saved knowing that God's going to do it. Honestly, I, I was sent a, a friend, and we have a, a couple of guys that we're always talking to and meet on a regular basis, and, and uh, we were just walking down the street a couple of weeks ago, and I said, man, do you, do you ever feel like we actually don't believe that God can save them? And it was a real kick in the bum for me because I think I've been talking to them, trying to share my faith, but not really in the power of knowing that Jesus wants to and can save them. We can pray for our lost friends to be saved because we are heirs with Christ. Thirdly then, prayer is about following the help and guidance of the Holy Spirit. We got, yeah, we are. <laughs> Through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of people get confused about the Holy Spirit and, and uh, the role the Holy Spirit plays. So let me clarify this, and I'm just going to try and do this from Scripture really simply. 
uh, verse 14 of Romans 8 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So we are sons and daughters of God because we are led by the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, it's, it's a way of saying that we, uh, we have Spirit-filled lives, and so we are the children of God. So the Holy Spirit woke you, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit woke you up to your need of Jesus, right? You didn't stumble along the road one day and think, oh, I probably need Jesus. No, the Holy Spirit did a work in you and said, hey, you're lost, you need Jesus. That's what happened. Every single one of us here are Christians. And if you're in this room this morning and and you're not a Christian, guess what? The Holy Spirit's doing that to you right now. And then the Holy Spirit is now dwelling in us who are Christians. And he leads us as the children of God, even in prayer. Like, listen, we all know, we talked about this earlier, we all know that in our own strength, we're not inclined to pray, are we? We're not, we're not, we don't, we, we don't have it in us to run to God. We can't rely in our own strength to be a people of prayer. And if you read, I, I would just encourage all of you this week to just uh, read all of Romans 8. It's just amazing. It's just so rich. Um, anyway, but later on down in Romans 8 and verse 26, this is what Paul says. He says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray, uh, pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What, what, I mean, this is, this is an incredible mystery. This is, an, this is an incredible truth that the Holy Spirit is actually praying on our behalf for us. When we feel too weak to pray, when we feel too scared to pray, when it hurts too much that we just don't have the words to say, the Holy Spirit is interceding for you on your behalf. Isn't that incredible? It's the power of the Spirit working in us that means that we have both the means and the inclination to pray. So in a very real sense, prayer is dependency on God. The act of praying itself is saying something about our dependency on God. And as a church, we want to be consistently and constantly dependent on the Lord through prayer. That's why, hey, you know what? Yes, there's some sick people in our church right now. You know what we're going to do? We're going to respond with a prayer and worship night. Prayer is our our first response to every situation, good and bad. Not because God's some lucky charm that we can use when things aren't going our way, but because we are a people redeemed by Jesus, heirs to the kingdom of God, we can walk into the throne room of heaven and say, Abba, help me. We need you. We depend on you. Prayer is dependency on God. And that's why we make it a regular community discipline too. If you come to any of our, uh, any of our uh, missional communities, I hope, I hope you're all praying together in missional community. If you're not, please do. And here's why. Because we are the bride of Christ. We the church. You, me, us, together. And we seek constant communion with our groom. Not just a safety net when things go wrong, but as faithful children walking with our father or as a faithful bride walking with our husband. Drinking each other in, enjoying each other's presence. Let me just finish this section by saying something maybe you've never considered before. I hope you have, but maybe you haven't. And if you have, consider it again this morning. God enjoys being in your presence. 
the Lord longs to spend time with you. The Father, he actually wants to sit with you and to talk with you and be close with you. And listen, I, I just really feel that the Lord is inviting us as a church into a closer relationship with him. Deeper dependency on him. Can you feel it? Can you feel the invitation from the Lord this, this morning saying there's more? We need to go deeper. You and me, we need to get closer. He pursued you. and He bought you with a great price. The, the blood of his own son. And so he wants to be near to you. He wants a closer walk with you. He wants us to depend on him. He wants us to commune with him. My challenge is, do you want a closer walk with him? Prayer and dependency. What about word dwelling among us? It's our second value this morning. Can we throw this up on the screen, Phil? Already done it. Pro. Our commitment to Scripture is what makes the church unique to every other type of community in the city. We believe that God reveals himself primarily through Scripture. And that we are to be a people who not only hear it, but are shaped and molded by it. We will not act on the basis of tradition, habit, or pragmatism without reflection on Scripture. We will not see Bible teaching as an end in itself, but as that which must shape our thinking and action. Word dwelling among us. If you've got your Bibles open, flip over to our passage in, in, in 2 Timothy 3. I'm going to jump into that. This is Paul writing to his young disciple Timothy and, and, and Paul's in prison in Rome and he's at near the end of his life and he writes this letter just encouraging him and saying, uh, Timothy, here's some things you're going to know about how to live in, in these difficult end times you're living in. Uh, and, and he really in this section is saying, what you need to do is rely on the scriptures. Now the scriptures is simply a term that the Bible uses to refer to the Bible. <laughs> The scriptures just means the holy writings. It's all of the Old Testament. It's all of the New Testament. It's passed down generation to generation to what we have right now. And look at how Paul describes Timothy's relationship with the scriptures in verses 14 and 15. If I can find it. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He says, you have been acquainted with the Holy Scriptures, with the sacred writings. This word that he uses here, acquainted with, literally means to know. And it's not to know in an intellectual way. It, it, it means, the word that Paul uses here literally means to be intimate with, to be devoted to, to adhere to. It's, it's, the, kind, it's the way that Adam knew Eve, that kind of thing. It's a husband and wife kind of deal. It's, it's an intimacy. It's a sticking together. And what Paul is saying here is like, this is, this is the type of relationship we need to have with the Scriptures. We need to be intimate with the Scriptures. We need to know the Scriptures. We need to adhere to the Scriptures. And in a sense, this is what we mean by the Word dwelling among us. It's the Scriptures, the Word of God, the Bible, that shapes us and molds us and sustains us. You see, this, this book... That, that this isn't just a, a collection of historical writings. It is, but it's so much more. And the reason it's so much more is because of their source. Look at what Paul, look at what Paul says in verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. 
use this Greek word, and, and it, it literally means, um, I'm not going to say it because I, I don't want to mispronounce it, um, but it literally means the, the actual words. It, it's, like, it's the breath coming out of his mouth. So we often think that this is, uh, we, we often think in terms of, we, we actually weaken the Bible, I think, because we think, oh, this is like the Word of God, uh, inspired by some dudes that wrote this stuff down. And it is, but it's more than that. What the Bible is telling us right now is that this book is the actual Word of God. It's the actual words of God, breathed out by Him. It's not just words about God. It's not just a history of God's story in the world. It's not just instructions on how to live. It is all those things, but... It's the very Word of God. This is what we believe in our church about the Bible. We believe that these words are the words of God. And just as, just as my words are carried to you this morning on my breath, so the words of God come to us carried on His breath, which is the Spirit. It's this beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit working in us to make this more than just text on a page, to make this life-giving to make this life in itself. And so when we interact with the Scriptures, that's why we pray. We pray and we, we say, Lord, uh, speak to us. I don't want to read my own meaning into this. I want you to speak to me clearly. I need to hear from you. I need the words of eternal life that only you have. And so we desire to have this culture and village of the Word dwelling among us because we are God's children and we need to hear the, and obey the words of our Father. Per, per wee Finley's getting a hard time this morning, but this is hilarious. This happened this week. It's just some things he does. He's four. I forget. But a big part of my relationship with him right now and his relationship with me is like him hearing and obeying my words, right? That's how I'm training him for life. In fact, that's based, by obeying me, that's how he gets through life successfully, right? So the other day, in fact, the day we were moving house, I laid out. He's, he, he likes dressing himself at the minute. So I laid out some clothes in his bed, and he was dressed. Happy days. I was like, good job. You did a really good job, pal. And then we were leaving the house, and uh, Matt knows what I'm talking about. And uh, so uh, I went to, like, tuck in his T-shirt or something, and he wasn't wearing any pants. Uh, and I was like, are you serious? Like, I told you. Like, they're right there on the bed. I told you to put on pants. You can't walk around in commando. A child needs to hear and obey the words of his parents. Otherwise, how will they know how to live? We as a church need to hear and obey the words of our Father. Otherwise, how will we know how to live? We'll be rocking around with no pants on. <laughs> well, I mean, was that a step too far? I don't know. You don't get what I'm saying? A big part of our relationship with the Father in our, in our childlike state as the children of God, we need to hear and obey His Word. That's why the only thing we do from here, from up here, is read the Scriptures. Symbolically saying that everything we do is guided and, and founded in the Scriptures. Even the preacher is under the authority of this, work, this book. Because it is the word of God. And then Paul, uh, in this section, gives us two reasons on why this is so important, why we need, because it is the word of God, what it does for us. He says that, um, sorry, let me find my place here. He says in verse 15, uh, uh, verse 15, the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He said that Scripture leads us to salvation. Romans 10. <coughs> Romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So the Word of God actually um, is powerful because it's the Word spoken by God and it convicts us of our sin and reminds us of our need of a Savior. There's no one who's ever become a Christian 
by not hearing the word of God. I'm not saying they actually had the Bible read to them, but I'm saying they heard the word of God. It convicts us of our sin and makes us aware of our need of the Savior. For us as non-Christians, for us as Christians daily living these lives, we don't just hear the word of God and then give up and say, well, now it's sweet, now I'm a Christian. No. When you become a Christian, delve even deeper into the word daily. And secondly, the scriptures train us for life. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You see, he starts with the source of the scriptures that we looked at. It's breathed out by God, and therefore, because of that, it's profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. Now, there's two parts of this I want to talk about quickly. One is uh, what we believe, and the other is what we do. It says here that the Bible is profitable for teaching and refuting error. So if you want to know the truth of what God is saying about something and be shown where you're wrong and what you believe, turn to the Scriptures. Don't, we, in this church, we don't form our own opinions about what the gospel is. God tells us what the gospel is. We don't just guess at what God has said about something. We go to the Bible. We go to the Scriptures because it's the Word of God. We listen to these words as the Word of God, and we obey. And I, I just I can't help but wonder, how often do we do this? How often do we, we be, what we believe is based on our own opinions, our own feelings, or what we read on Twitter or Facebook? And so we have this kind of messed up theology that comes from, from, from the outside world and comes from our own hearts and comes from our own feelings about something. One of the teachers at our women's conference, I wasn't there, obviously, because I'm a man, but... Um, one of our teachers, I heard on the recording, she said this. She said, um, and she was totally right. She said, we don't trust our feelings because our feelings change all the time. We trust the word of God because it never changes. Powerful. And not just in the Northern Irish sense of the word. We trust the word of God because it never changes. She's totally right. This is what it means to be molded by the word of God. This is why we want to create a culture of the word dwelling among us because we need these words. These words are are the thing that point us to life. So that's what we believe. What about what we do? The text tells us, the Bible informs what we do as well, how we live. Paul says here to Timothy that the scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. Now, let me be clear with you this morning. Your life will be guided and shaped by something outside of you, no matter what. That's just what happens as human beings. We're all influenced by everything we see. And sometimes we are more discerning than others and we can know what to to throw away and what to keep. But if you look at kids, kids mimic the behavior of their parents, don't they? They mimic the behaviors of their, their older siblings or friends at school. This is how we learn as humans. We pick up other people's behavior and we assess it and, and, and we apply it, we copy it. And in the right circumstances, there's nothing wrong with this. In fact, in this chapter, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says to Timothy, follow my example. Like, I went through all the suffering, I've done this, this, and this, so you should do that too. But, but the point is that, that he was able to say that to Timothy because Paul himself lived a life that was guided and molded and shaped by the Holy Scriptures. This is what we want for our church. This is the only way we can follow Jesus, by listening to what he has said in his word. My challenge is this. If your life is shaped by anything other than the God-breathed scriptures, 
it won't be a life of walking in righteousness. It just won't. If your life is guided by anything except this, it won't be a life of following Jesus. It just won't. And this is why we need to remember passages like Psalm 119. Your, your word is a lamp to my feet and a, and a guide to my path. And you see this, I mean, I, I, you know, I grew up with these pencils in my home. And not my, you know, my, they were just always around from Sunday school. And, and that was one of those verses you always saw. You always saw, your word is a, a lamp unto my feet. You always saw that. But it's not, just a, it's not just a cliche. It's not just something nice to say. This is actually how we live a godly life. And David, when he was writing that psalm, he believed that and he practiced it. He said, I need your word. I, I need to meditate on your word. This is how, you know what Jesus did when he was tempted by, the, by Satan himself? You know what he did? He didn't do some kind of like miracles. He didn't do any of that stuff. Jesus the man refuted Satan. By what? By quoting the scripture. That was all he did. He quoted the scripture. This is how we live a godly life. This is how we know what is right and wrong. This is how we make good decisions. I've been married for over six years now, and, and, and three of these six years, I say that like, I mean, a lot of you have been married for, you know, a long, longer, so I say that like, I'm basically to some of you like a toddler at marriage, but if you allow me to give you my two cents worth, um, through the six years of marriage, uh, I've spent a lot of time getting to know my wife, obviously, um, and she's pretty great, and Almost to the point that I know how she's going to respond to something before she does. And she knows it was me as well. Um, but this is what the Bible does for us with God. We know what God's going to say because he's already said it. We know how he's going to respond. God never changes. The word of God never changes. We get to know God through what he has revealed about himself in the scriptures. And this is why we need to live lives founded on and grounded in the Bible. And finally, in verse 17, why is this important? That the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We can take the man of God to mean all Christians. It's not just some for pastors or, or priests or the clergy or missionaries. The Bible is for every Christian. So that we can be equipped in living the example of Jesus. This is why we turn to the Bible every day, isn't it? This is why we pray, give us our daily bread. This is why we memorize it. This is why we commit it to our hearts. And if you don't do that, I would challenge you to do that. I would encourage you to do that. Get to know the word of God. Meditate on it. Love it. Become intimate with it. Adhere to it. Know it. Maybe, maybe you're living off, a, uh, off something you heard a few weeks ago or a few months ago or even a few years ago. But you couldn't exist on the same loaf of bread for weeks on end. That wouldn't sustain you. And it's the same with the Bible. Our communion with God needs to be fresh and daily and ongoing. And we need to keep returning to it and be guided by it and sustained by it and be nourished by it because, listen, everything else is folly. And whenever we did Ecclesiastes, that series, man, we spent a lot of time looking at how the world is folly. The wisdom of the world is folly. The truth, whatever that even is in our age, is folly. I'm going to finish with this. Sometimes when we hear sermons like this, where there's a lot of like, you may be instruction and there's a lot of like teaching on how to live, we can either, we, I think sometimes we can slip into thinking that 
we need to do all this stuff so we can be really saved, which is not true. Or we can become so daunted by the task that we just think that's impossible and give up, which is not true. So here's my encouragement, church. Jesus isn't just our example, he's our redeemer. Now listen to me when I say that again. Jesus isn't just our example, he's our redeemer. And this is really where these two values of our this morning like intersect. Prayer and dependency, we're dwelling among us. This is where they intersect. You see, the Bible tells, God, God just doesn't sit on a throne far off and, and tell us what to do and how to live and, and be cross at us when, he's, when we've messed up. John 1 tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We want to create a, a culture in this church of the word dwelling among us. Why? Because it is the culture of the kingdom of God that the word dwells among us. Jesus is the message of God. He's the message of God personified. And he came and he took on flesh and he looked like us and he talked like us. Why? So he could show us how to, how to live, yes, as our example, but so he could redeem us as one of us and as God. He could live the perfect life and die the perfect death and be raised from death to life and ascend into heaven. He demonstrated for us the love of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The message of God became flesh and, and took on a persona and dwelt among us. And by doing so, this is great. Listen to this. This is where we have the two intersecting. By doing that, he became our mediator. That just means someone that stands in the gap. Someone who stands between us and God. Not to block the way to God, but so that he could carry us to God. So that in him, we could be brought close to God. Romans 8 tells us that Jesus, I mean, Roman, like I've said it before, read the whole chapter. The whole thing is amazing. This is what it says uh, later on down in the thing. It says in verse 34, who is, who is to condemn? That's a good start. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He doesn't give us a task to do and not empower us to do it. Jesus empowers us for this obedience. So if you're saved, then the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And by his power, we are able to be obedient to the word of God and how we're even inclined to pray in the first place. And sometimes we think that the, the gospel, right, is just the message about Jesus. And in one sense it is, but it's so much more than that. We're not saved by the message about Jesus. We're saved by Jesus. And he's the one, he's the word that became flesh, and he's the one that intercedes for us. He is word dwelling among us, and he is prayer and dependency. The gospel is Jesus. And this is why when, when Jesus started uh, uh, talking about what it would look like to be his follower, all his disciples left him. Apart from the 12 were left. And Jesus turns to his 12. And he said, he turns around and the crowd have gone because they find it too hard. And he, and he says, are you not going to leave me too? And you know what Peter says? Maybe my favorite verse in the whole Bible. He says this. To whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's word. That's prayer and dependency. In one sentence. The answer to all this is Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Jesus is calling you this morning. Do you feel it? I feel it. I, feel it all, I felt it all this week preparing this. I felt, <laughs> I felt the Lord call me closer to him. 
He's calling all of us this morning closer walk with him. He wants deeper intimacy with you. He loves you. Uh, the, the arms of Jesus, the everlasting arms of Jesus, they don't crush us, they embrace us. Jesus died and rose again so that, that he could make that happen. So can I just ask you gently, will you respond to that this morning? Will you respond to Jesus calling you into closer and deeper intimacy with him? Will you depend on him? Will you lean on him? Will you listen and obey his word? And if you're not a Christian yet, can I just say that the invitation is the same to you, not from me, but from Jesus himself. Hear this if you're not a Christian. God loves you. Jesus died for you, and he longs to be near to you. I know there's people who interact with our church and come to services who don't know Jesus yet. And this is the message for you. Jesus longs to be near to you. He died so that he could be near to you. And for all of us, don't go anywhere else. The answers that you need, the help that you need, everything you need is found here. Not in us, not in anything to do with this church, but in Jesus. To whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you that you're unique. You're three in one, one in essence, three in person. Lord, I thank you that that means that you can love uh, deeply and eternally and infinitely. Father, we confess that we struggle with this. We confess that we, we struggle with depending on you. We struggle with bringing our joys and fears and hopes and struggles with you, Lord. Father, our prayer together this morning is just like the old hymn says, that we would just take it to the Lord in prayer. Jesus knows our every weakness. Thank you, Lord, that your arms embrace, they don't crush us. Help us to depend on you for your glory. Amen.